Good morning, and uh, I say good morning to our campuses joining us here this morning. Love you all, praying for you, God's grace to, uh, to each of you. Pray for those joining online and say hello to you as well and to those here in the room as we gather as a church family and we open God's word and we come to it and say, God, speak to us uh, today. And I say that especially here at the beginning of a new teaching series that we're doing all throughout this fall entitled Habits of Grace. Habits of Grace. And I want to note to you that uh, during this series, all of our small groups at all of our campuses are also synced to this series. And if you would, uh, you know, if you're thinking, give me a good excuse to join a small group, here's one. It's an opportunity to go even deeper in these things and to do so in the community of relationship and friendship. And I think it would be very profitable. So you can go to the welcome desk after the service. You can go online to bethelweb.org forward slash small groups and uh, sign up and uh, we will be in contact and take it from there. Habits of Grace, we could have entitled this uh, Going Deeper with God or An Intimate Walk with God or How to Grow as a Christian uh, because all of those uh, titles would give the sense of what this series is going to be about. It is intentionally uh, designed to equip all of us to go deeper with God, to, to have greater intimacy with God, to engage with God in the day-to-day of life. And here's the thing. We want everyone to be equipped in this, and we want everyone to grow in this. Even as we acknowledge in, in our church, we have people in varying stages of their spiritual growth, development, and maturity. This reminds me of uh, what is currently going on in the DeWitt House. We enrolled our two daughters for the first time uh, this fall in soccer, Crown Point Soccer Leagues. And uh, it's been totally cute, totally fun. Uh, But we quickly realized that in these groups are varying levels of development when it comes to soccer. And my girls have never played and showed up at the first practice almost knowing nothing, probably bad fathering on my part. But uh, some of these kids are really good. Even at, you know, six years old, a game yesterday, one of the six-year-old boys bent it like Beckham into the upper net. And I thought, (laughs) wow, you know. My girls are like, okay, which goal is ours? And they love to wear the soccer outfit, you know, that's a highlight for them. So we have a ways to go. They're, they're coming along after just three weeks. They're figuring some things out. But you go to these, uh, these games, and there, there are kids all over the spectrum in terms of uh, their development, from starting out like my girls to you know a few years of playing. And then you've got some of these kids that are eight, and they've been playing for five years already. And they are pretty amazing. And similarly, when it comes to uh, spiritual things, we have a similar uh, situation. Some of you uh, are, you know, like my daughters, spiritually, you're, you're just getting going. Like, you're trying to figure out which way do I kick the ball, uh, and what are the general rules for this whole thing. And you're early in your development, you're maybe a new Christian, or you're early in the early years of being a Christian, and we think that that's great. 
I don't expect my, my daughters to bend it like Beckham when they just have had three weeks of practice. And similarly, we want to encourage you that you're early on, and here's an opportunity now for you to grow. Uh, but some of you have been at this for a very long time. You know, you're like these kids that can uh, rock it with the right or left leg already. You know quite a bit. You've grown in your walk with God. And so this series will, I think, in some part be a return to the fundamentals, but I hope that we can share with you some new moves that will improve your walk with God. So this is a series for everybody, no matter where you are in your spiritual development, and we're going to rejoice if we as a congregation can just take some baby steps the right direction and to continue on in our uh, discipleship. So that's where we're going here, and to get at this today, this is kind of an introductory sort of message to the series, I want us to look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. As you get there, 1 Timothy is uh, the first of four letters that are called the pastoral epistles. So First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Uh, they are known as the pastoral epistles because they give general guidance for local churches on how we're supposed to do this. What is this supposed to, you know, to look like? Uh, because leading a local church is not such an easy thing. And so for centuries, God's people have turned to the pastoral epistles and have said, okay, how is this supposed to work? How are we to be organized? What are we to focus on? What's the, what's the vibe supposed to be here? That's First Timothy. And Timothy was Paul's apprentice. And so you have the Apostle Paul, the mentor, writing to Timothy, his apprentice, and saying, this is the way that, uh, that, that you should lead as a pastor and, and the way that the local church should function. So we pick it up now, chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, and here's our key verse, train yourself for godliness. For while the bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. God bless his word to us today. Now what we see in the first verse there in verse 6 is that one of the roles of a faithful shepherd or pastor is to put before God's people the clear teaching of scripture and the gospel. And Paul says to Timothy, you got to do this because, man, there are all these silly myths that people are buying into and believing right now. And I, you know, if you pause and think about it, this is a day where you have no social media, you have almost no media at all, and yet the world was awash in silly myths. How much more now today are we awash in silly myths and people believing and, and promoting crazy sort of things, non-gospel sort of things? Paul says to Timothy, hey, don't get involved in those things. You just worry about teaching the clear Uh, scriptures and doctrine accordingly. Now then he says, what is our focus here, which is verse 7. Train yourself, get this, 
for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Oh, what is that I hear in the, is that a murmur I hear in the room? Train ourselves for godliness. Do we not just get done in Romans learning that we are godly because we are justified before God? God has declared us righteous. And wasn't the whole focus of Romans the fact that we don't do anything to earn this and that this is utterly God's grace to us, his sovereign grace to us? Why would I train myself for godliness when I'm already perfectly godly in the eyes of Almighty God? And here is the first thing to know about the habits of grace is that they fall into the broader category, biblically, called sanctification, or we use the word discipleship. Yes, we are saved apart from any human effort. We spent, you know, a long time on that. (laughs) And we praise God that we're saved apart from any performance on our part, that God has declared us righteous by faith. But justification and Romans is largely about our position before God, our standing before God. God declares us righteous. But what about our actual practice in the day-to-day of life? Like, are we totally righteous in the practice of our lives? And anybody that's honest would say, uh, no, we are not. Let me give you a, here's a, a big theology term for you. Martin Luther says this, we are simul ju- justice et peccator. Isn't that a blessing to you? Here's what it means. Simultaneously saint and sinner. To be a Christian until we die and shed this sinful flesh, we are always going to be simultaneously a saint declared righteous, that's our justification, and a sinner, which is the reality of this flesh within us until the day that we die. Now, does that mean we just go, oh, well, what does it matter then? I am uh, righteous before God, and so therefore, I'm just going to kind of, you know, continue to be the sinner that I know that I am, and when I die, I go to heaven, and all's good. I get the best of this earth in the sinful way, and I get the best in, the, in, in heaven in the sort of sanctified way. Bada boom, bada bing, it's all good. Is that what it means? And the answer, obviously, is no, it does not. That's not what it means, because... To be a Christian is not simply to be declared righteous. It is a transformation of our heart, as Hebrews says, where God takes out this heart of stone, at least towards him, and puts in the heart of flesh. There is a new set of desires that we have within us by the Holy Spirit, whereby now I want to grow. I want to grow, and I need to grow. There are some people that grossly confuse their justification with their sanctification. There is one very famous ancient worldwide church who continues to do that, unfortunately. And they assume that since they did nothing to become justified, they therefore do nothing to become sanctified. I mean, I am, I'm saved by faith, and therefore I'm going to be sanctified by faith with no part of my own. Some people say it this way, let go and let God. Okay? Let go and let God. In other words, we're totally passive in our sanctification. We don't do anything. 
which sounds good, but it's actually very bad theology. So if I could draw on the analogy from John 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus. They're trying to, you know, understand. Nicodemus is trying to understand spiritual things. And Jesus says that you must be born again. If I can draw on that analogy of birth, friend, what did you do to be born physically? Pretty much nothing, right? Not that we remember very well, and I'm glad we don't, frankly, uh, remember that experience. We don't really do nothing. All the effort was mom and dad. And let's be honest, mostly mom. In fact, all mom, okay? We'll just say all mom. But if a baby could be born, and if you could speak to that baby in the moment, and the baby says, gaga, goo, goo, now what do I do? We would say, welcome to life. Welcome to growing. And, you know, gaga, goo, goo, what do I do? You'd say, well, you're going to eat, and you're going to sleep, preferably through the night right away, and you are going to exercise, and you're going to go to school and learn, and I mean, there's all these things that are now, because you are born, that you are going to get to, to do to become the person that God would have you to be. And friends, when we become a Christian, truly, we are justified entirely by faith. There is no effort on our part. It is completely God. But in terms of following Jesus and being a Christian, we are like the child called to grow. And this is known as discipleship. It is becoming. It is sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, how do we do that exactly? Like, how do I grow as a a Christian? I'm assuming you want to grow. How do I do that? And this now gets us into 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself, notice, for godliness. The goal in discipleship and the goal in following uh, Christ is, is discipleship. It is godliness. Notice the word godliness. God-likeness. Godliness. Not in the attributes that God has that we don't share with him. So it's, the goal is not, I'm, my goal is to be all-knowing. Oh, that's funny. My goal is to be all-powerful. You know, we don't share those qualities with God. We're not trying to be God-like in those ways. But in the qualities that we do share with God, In other words, morality, spirituality, relationships, and others, these are categories that God's perfection now is the goal of our discipleship. So, godliness, here's some synonyms in the Bible. Godliness, holiness, sanctification, Christ-likeness, these are all describing the same thing. You might remember from Romans 8, we spent time on verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the goal of God in my life? Does he want me to be successful and famous and happy all the time and, you know, blah? No. God is forming every single Christian 
into being a little Jesus Jr. to reflect in my attitude and my actions and the priorities of my life the way that Jesus lived and the priorities of Jesus' life so that the character, and you're gonna hear a lot of that word over the next uh, while here, the word character, the character of Jesus is imprinted upon my own life and his character is being formed in me. So, we are positionally righteous before God, but in terms of our sanctification, resembling Jesus, what are we to do? First Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness. Now let's talk about those words specifically. Train. Here's the Greek word for train. Gymnazo. Again, a blessing to you, I know, to know that. But what do you hear in the word gymnazo? You hear the word at the beginning at least. Gym. Not the name, but the activity, the gym. Gymnazo, this is a word that we get our word gymnasium from or gymnastics from. And it, it, it meant in the first century to exercise naked. Now this church is getting interesting to you, isn't it? <laughs> we have a special workout night Tuesday. Hope you all come. Okay. But the reason it meant that is that the, that the Romans and the Greeks would, I mean, they were very much into athletics. I mean, the Olympics came to us from them. They were, they would, uh, those athletes, just like our athletes, would get rid of anything that encumbered them. You know, that's why, you know, sometimes you watch the Olympics like this summer and you're like, oh boy, I just don't want to watch this because, I mean, they are taking off anything that's going to give wind resistance or get in their way in, in any way. In the, in the first century, that meant they would just take their clothes off and they would exercise and train naked. Be glad that's not the gym your membership is at. So they had a rigorous training and they would you know, practice and they would exercise and they were incredibly dedicated uh, to their sport. And why did they do that? As Paul says, they, do it, they did it for a, a wreath, a perishable reward. A, we call it a gold medal. They did it to win. They were dedicated because they wanted to win, just like athletes today. I thought that this summer, again, as I watched the Olympics, and you think about these, some of these young people that, like, almost out of the womb, they have been training for this one moment in time, like this one Olympics, where they can hopefully do one thing better than anybody else in the whole world. I've been to the Olympic Village in uh, Colorado Springs. You walk into the, the lobby, and there on the wall, huge letters, it says, uh, faster, higher, stronger. Faster, higher, stronger. And those athletes that go to train at the Olympic Village, why do they have that there? Because they want them to be thinking as they go in, today is another day for me to get just a little bit faster, just a little bit higher, just a little bit stronger. That's an athletic approach to life. And here Paul says that we are to gymnazo ourselves into godliness. How do we do that? Dedication, training, self-discipline. What does it take for a sinner to shed years 
of habits of thinking and acting and feeling and longing that are according to the flesh that please the devil that act in concert with the world. What does it take for a sinner to root out of their life these very negative habits? It requires habits of grace. Now, this does not minimize the role of grace. In fact, we have it in the title there, okay? Habits of grace. Were it not for grace, we wouldn't want to do this. And if you don't want to do this, I would wonder, have you really tasted of the grace of God? It is grace that motivates us to even want to be like Christ or even to want to live a righteous life or to not to sin. Were it not for the new heart that we've received by the Spirit, we wouldn't desire righteousness. So don't get from this that we're justified by God and we're sanctified by us. As a side note, it is a difficult thing to really understand how God works somehow in us and through us in our sanctification in a way that doesn't make it totally dependent on us, and theologians wrestle with this, and maybe we'll get into this some other time. But here's what we, we, we want to avoid thinking that I'm in charge of my sanctification. It is actually the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. But he does it through means, okay? He does it through means. Or to say it this way, as, as I read uh, this quote, just because something is by grace doesn't mean it's without effort. It means it is without earning, okay? Sanctification takes tremendous effort. And if you are going to grow as a Christian, it is going to require sweat. That is why the word is train. It doesn't say stay in bed and become godly. It doesn't say don't think about it and don't worry about it and become godly. No, it is a word that is dripping with sweat off of it. Train yourself for godliness. So what are these habits of grace? What does this mean? And this is my, my best definition uh, for what we're talking about here. Habits of grace, these are God-ordained channels of his transforming power into our lives to grow our character into the likeness of Christ. Okay, can we say this definition all together? Okay, I want you to get it, we have it on the screen here. One, two, three, here we go. God-ordained channels of his transforming power into our lives to grow our character into the likeness of Christ. Now notice in the definition that these are God's channels, God's ideas. These are not things that we come up with, like, hey, I think it'll be a great idea that we, you know, prayer, let's go pray. No, this is God saying, these are the ways that I'm ordaining for this, for my power and my grace to be activated in your life. Now, we might like the list to be different. For example, why can't eating donuts be a habit of grace? I mean, God, why can't that make me Christ-like? Or pick some other thing like that. And the answer is that each of these habits, and this is why they're hard, Every single one of them in some way involve us dying to ourselves. 
dying to some natural, self-centered desire, I got to die to that in order to place myself in the channel of God's grace in my life. And that, that singular reason is why there are probably a, a large number, some percentage here right now, that are not that excited about this series. You're like, oh, great. I might actually have to change something in my life if I'm going to apply this. Indeed, you will. Our comfort, our appetites, our self-dependence, our self-worship, all of these habits of grace run against the natural grain of how me wants to live my life. This is why they require God's help. And be encouraged, God wants us to grow. This is what he's ordained us to be, Christ-like. But it also requires self-effort and self-discipline. So here we are, NFL kickoff weekend. How about a football quote, okay? The legendary Tom Landry described what a coach does. Here is his definition. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. To inspire men to do what they don't want to do, to go that extra effort, to to push a little bit harder, to be faster, stronger, higher, in order for them to become what they have always dreamed of being. And what do athletes want to do? They want to win. They want to win. And to do that, what do they do? They discipline out of their life everything that gets in the way of winning, and they discipline into their life everything that enhances their opportunity to win. And if our goal is Christ-likeness, if our goal is complete surrender to God, if our goal is to uh, be righteous in the way that we live, this is going to require self-discipline. And I'm not talking about pharisaical, performance-based sort of self-discipline with these sorts of things. And this is gonna be a difficulty for us where we wanna check off the box, right? I grew up in a kind of environment where these sorts of categories typically were more on the check off the box. If you want God's blessing in your life, then you better do it, and if you don't do it, then you're in, you're in trouble. Uh, in fact, I read Jerry Bridges, who I think is brilliant on the, all of these things. Uh, he writes about a student who was exceptionally diligent in his quiet time with God, and when asked why, he said, so nothing bad happens to me. And this is a temptation that we have when it comes to these, uh, you know, pathways or habits of grace is that we can, especially if you're sort of an OCD kind of person, the checklist sort of person, we take all of this, we put it into that category, and we view our relationship with God uh, like a checklist. How does that go in marriage, by the way, if you do that? Honey, I love you. Wait a second. Uh, uh. I said it. Doesn't go well, does it? Because it feels artificial, and indeed, it is. And God knows our hearts, okay? 
So let's, let's banish all this sort of performance-based checklist. I'm in trouble with God if I don't pray every day. We are calling them habits of grace, okay? And that word is there intentionally. Not habits of performances, not habits uh, that make me better than other people or the best Christian that I know. They are habits of grace. Now, this might feel a little like, uh, again, first day of, 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 you know, first day of practice uh, for some, you know, season of basketball or something where you know, the coach says, all right, we're going to run these many miles, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And everybody's like, oh, man, I don't want that to be the sense here. And I got one very strong encouragement w- uh, for you that I want to endure throughout this entire series, and it's something that I think many Christians don't realize And that is that God has given us a super weapon when it comes to incorporating the habits of grace into our life. And it is simply the power of habit. The power of habit. Habits are patterns of choices that we make over time that become like second nature to us, it becomes a normal rhythm of our life. So for example, how, how much willpower did you exert to brush your teeth this morning? Some of you are like, I forgot to brush my teeth this morning. <laughs> and uh, we hope you wear a mask on the way out, please. <laughs> I thought how bad it would be to have a, you know, a, a stock in, in, in mints uh, during a, a pandemic. I, I haven't smelled anybody's breath in a long time. But uh, you don't exert willpower to brush your teeth in the morning because probably your parents way back when got you in the habit of brushing your teeth. And so in the morning, you don't go, okay, I'm going to do it today. Here we go. And you put the toothpaste on and you brush your teeth. No. That's the, that's the power of habit. Habits allow us to do things that we need to do without exerting willpower over every choice. Now, this super weapon can be used against us. And so if we begin to make choices that are negative choices in our life, that at first maybe feel uh, sinful or shocking, but we continue to make them, these choices can also become habits in our life in a negative way. And that's something to be aware of. But it works positively as well. And this series is going to encourage us to create positive rhythms in our daily life that put us in the channel of God's transforming power so that my character can be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. How to do that and how to make that a habit is going to be one of our secret weapons in this series. So... For example, wouldn't it be great if praying became like brushing your teeth? Where in the morning or in the evening, you didn't have to go, okay, I'm gonna pray now. (laughs) Everybody, I'm going to pray. Where it's a habit in your life. A positive one, a very positive one. What if contemplation Uh, became like buttoning your shirt, which you also don't even think about anymore. If you do uh, wear a shirt with a butt, you don't even think about it. You just sort of do it. 
So we want willpower to be overtaken by the habit power. And friends, I want you to know our sin nature is working every day to create habits of non-grace. In a sense, we live every day in a long series entitled Habits of Non-Grace because our flesh wants us to regularly have a rhythm in our life that is destructive to God's good work in us. This is why we can watch football for hours on Sunday, and I know some of you are looking forward to that very thing today, but 20 minutes into the sermon, you're looking at your watch, and I know who you are. (laughs) I see you do that. 20 minutes in, like, how long is this guy going to go? But then you go home and you watch five hours of football, nary a glance at the clock. Why is that? Because what we're doing right now is actually something spiritually profitable in your life. And we have an enemy within us, the flesh, that hates God's good work in us and is constantly exerting its force against us. So remember, these are habits of grace. These are rhythms of spiritual transformation. And uh, I wonder if you are truly convinced that these things would provide for you the greatest possible blessing in your life. If you could actually become a little bit more like your Savior, would you be interested in this? In fact, indeed, would you be willing to pay for it? I looked it up this week. Do you know how much an average Botox application is? It's around $300. Annual gym membership is around $300. Spiritual Botox at Bethel Church, free of charge. Okay? Like anytime fitness, we are open 24-7. These are available to us all the time. And this fall is spiritual training here at our church. We have very highly qualified fitness coaches here to help you, available every Sunday, which this session, by the way, free of charge. Donations are accepted though. And so who's ready for some Christ-likeness? Pastor Steve, you haven't even told us what any of these things actually are yet. Okay, well, I'm going to do it right now. So what are we talking about? What are we going to be looking at? What are the the habits of grace? Here are the ones that we're going to be coaching through. The role of the Bible in the life of the Christian. Prayer, fasting, meditation and contemplation. Christian fellowship and friendship, the Lord's Supper, the local church, confession of sin, stewardship of time and money, and no doubt, more. Now, many of you are very, uh, I know, aware of what it means to own gym equipment. And I know this because I have pastored here for a very long time. I have been in many, many homes of our church, and oftentimes, uh, I, will, I have seen in the basements of homes in our church, we have some amazing and impressive health and fitness equipment in our congregation. I have seen many of you who have treadmills, you have ellipticals, you have weight equipment, the bench press. I've seen old VH videos like Sweating to the Oldies, P90X, Buns of Steel, Our church has some amazing 
exercise equipment. What is also plainly obvious in visits to the basements of our church is the thick layer of dust on the treadmill, (laughs) the elliptical being used to hang clothing to dry, weight benches piled over with old Amazon delivery boxes. And so I look at that, and what is the problem in our church? We have the equipment to be incredibly physically fit. Our problem, of course, is that we do not use it. We do not use it. They cannot bless us. They cannot transform us if we don't use them. And friends, the habits of grace are like that. You all have the equipment in the basement of your soul. You have all of these things. Meanwhile, many people spiritually discouraged. I feel so stuck spiritually. I just don't seem to ever, you know, uh, nothing changes in my spiritual life. I'm just stuck in the place where I'm at. Why is this the case? Why do I feel this way? And friends, what we want to do is we want to dust off the equipment that, that many of us have had in the basement of our hearts for a very long time and oil it up, you know, uh, 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 let's get these things moving again and see these habits provide for our souls the grace that God desires on a daily basis. Because here's the reality in the words of J. Oswald Sanders, we are as close to God as we choose to be. We are as close to God as we choose to be. God isn't more desirous to be close to you instead of you, or you up there instead of these people over here. He is the same to all of us. Our closeness to him is dependent upon these means of grace. And finally, did you even know that Jesus utilized habits of grace? Even Jesus. Oh, he didn't need it. He's the son of God. He's, you know, God in flesh. He doesn't need it. And yet, what do we see in the life of Jesus? Here's a quick sampling. Mark 1, rising early, he went out to pray. Matthew 4, he fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Luke 2, he read and knew the scriptures even as a child. Matthew 26, prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 4, used memorized scripture to fight temptation. John 13, established the Lord's Supper on the night of his betrayal. You look at these and more that we could list and you think, Why was he doing that? Like, I thought he was God. Yes, he was. But we see in his humanity the same need that you and I have to place ourselves in a daily rhythm in the channels of God's transforming power for our souls to access what God provides to all who seek him. And in this, I think he provides the ultimate argument for how important these things are in a daily walk with God. We ignore these to our detriment, and we use them for our good. So, you keep coming this fall. Training sessions are free. The sweat is up to you. And let's see what God does in the series. Amen? Amen. Amen.